welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I am so grateful that you're joining us on my latest episode. Today, we're going to learn about idolatry. Buckle up. You know, we all have idols, whether we're aware of it or not. And when I say the word idol, what comes to mind? Kelly Clarkson? Well, way back in 2002, she was the first American idol, but, well, she made it official. Honestly, we've been enamored with idols for literally thousands of years. Okay, so what is an idol, and why does God so vehemently tell us, thou shalt not have them? I mean, really, what's the big deal? I would venture to say most of us don't have pictures of Kelly Clarkson hanging in our bedrooms that we pray to at night. I would go so far as to say most of us probably don't have Buddhas in our living room that we rub for luck. I'm also thinking that many of you don't have talisman hanging in your cars or a golden calf on your desk at work that you worship during coffee breaks. So what is an idol and why does God get so worked up about it? Weren't idols a bigger deal during the time of Moses and Abraham? They're not really an issue for us today, are they? In seminary, we've been spending quite a bit of time talking about the Ten Commandments and what they mean and what the purpose for our lives are. So, when we talk about idols, we're actually talking about the first commandment. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have any gods before me. Now, the wording of your Bible might be a bit different, but the message is clear. God, first and foremost, wants us to know that he does not take well to competition. In the Jewish tradition, this is the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Shema is a Hebrew word, which means to hear and obey. In fact, the Shema prayer was so influential and important that Jesus used it at the beginning of his answer to the greatest commandment question. Mark wrote this down in chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. And this is what it says. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. This actually came from Deuteronomy. Remember, Jesus was a Jew, and of course, he knew the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 19, Moses wrote this. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, of course, he's quoting God, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, And he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce. And you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down. And when you get up, okay, again, I'm going to ask, what's the big deal about idols? It seems like the Jews in the Old Testament did get in a heap of trouble whenever they worshiped them. God demands that we regard him alone as our God, that we look to for all good and who we find refuge in times of trouble. God reminds us that he is the one who created us. I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have. Have is the language of relationships. We have a God. But how do we know if we love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, let's ask ourselves a few questions. What about pride? Can pride be an idol? Yes, because we're idolizing ourselves and our abilities and placing them above God. Our jobs? Well, Do we spend hours building a name for ourselves, a reputation? I like how gotquestions.org describes this. We fool ourselves into thinking we're working all these hours for them, for our family, to give them a better life. But the truth is, we're doing it for ourselves to increase our self-esteem by appearing more successful in the eyes of the world. This is folly. All our labors and accomplishments will be of no use to us after we die, nor will the admiration of the world, because these things have no eternal value. As King Solomon put it, For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and 
then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. The question becomes, whom or what do I trust? Your God is who or what you rely on. Now, I have friends who rely on reason. Aristotelian philosophy. They get their answers from science or from knowledge. Can this be an idol? Yeah. Anything that keeps our heart from God is an idol. Do you trust science or reason more than God? That is your idol. GotQuestions.org describes it this way. We idolize mankind through naturalism and the power of science. We cling to the illusion that we are lords of our world and build our self-esteem to godlike proportions. We reject God's word and his description of how he created the heavens and the earth. And we accept the nonsense of atheistic evolution and naturalism. We embrace the goddess of environmentalism and fool ourselves into thinking we can preserve this earth indefinitely when God has declared that this current age will have an end. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Our focus should not be on worshiping the environment, perhaps, but on living holy lives as we eagerly await for the return of our Lord and Savior. Yes, he alone deserves worship. Today, if we're honest, the heart of idol worship is worship of self. Yes, we fool ourselves into thinking, I get to determine my destiny, even my sexual identity, my pronoun. I get to decide when life begins and when it ends. I even get to decide what marriage is. I get to decide what I worship and what I covet. Well, have you ever noticed how we humans can't love something halfway? The things we love consume us. Idolatry is a matter of the heart. When we worship the Lord our God, we don't have to worry about self-preservation, honor, glory, power, or even where our next meal will come from. Matthew in chapter 6 verse 24 quotes Jesus as saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Okay, 
Can fasting be an idol? Yes. Oh, it's Lent. This is a time of fasting and reflection and perhaps self-sacrifice. But this can become an idol for us. Anytime we find comfort in our own works, our own rituals to try to earn God's favor, this is idolatry. We are placing our works above God. We are idolizing our actions. Can your spouse or your child become an idol? Yes, we need to trust God with all that he has given us, including our children. Well, how do you know if you're idolizing your child? And before you start poking your finger at others, ask yourselves these questions. These are really good. I got this from ministrydad.com. So ask yourself, do you live vicariously through your child? Do you compromise your standards for their comfort? Have you stopped having the tough conversations because you think it might upset them? Do you spend excessively on them? Do you point them towards your desires instead of God's? Do you constantly worry about them? Do you feel an overwhelming sense of abandonment when you think about them leaving? Do you consistently side with them instead of your spouse? How did you feel after hearing that list? I felt a bit convicted. What about you? The first commandment given to us by God, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, is not only the first commandment, it's the most important. It is the commandment upon which all the other commandments rest. If we remember to not have any other gods before God, then we will never break a commandment. Think about that. Isn't that wild? Because our symptoms of sin are breaking the commandments. Because when it comes right down to it, sin is unbelief. Sin is not believing that God is enough for us. Sin is believing we have to trust in something or someone else to provide for us. Sin is believing that God lied to us. If we believe that God is our God, then we will not look for replacements for him. Breaking the first commandment is the root cause. Commandments 2 through 10 identify the symptoms of breaking commandment number one. 
I want you to just listen to the commandments. And this is um, Martin Luther's explanation in the small catechism. So the wording just might be a little bit different than what you're used to. But see if you can hear how remembering that God is your God will keep you from breaking each one of these. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust God above all things. Second commandment, you shall not take the Lord your God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does this mean? We should fear and love God. So we don't curse, swear, practice witchcraft, lie, or deceive by his name. But call upon him and every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. Third commandment, you shall keep the day of rest holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise our parents and superiors, nor provoke them to anger, but honor, serve, obey, love, and esteem them. The fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do no bodily harm to our neighbor, but help and befriend them in every need. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a chaste and decent life in word and deed and that husbands and wives each love and honor the other. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't take our neighbor's money or goods nor get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his goods and means of making a living. The eighth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't lie about, betray, or slander our neighbor, but excuse him, speak well of him, and put the best construction on everything. The ninth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't craftily seek to gain our neighbor's inheritance or home, nor get it by a show of right, but help and serve him in keeping it. The 10th commandment, 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, maidservant, manservant, nor his cattle, nor anything else that is his. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't tempt, force, coake. We should fear and love God so that we do not tempt, force, or coax away from our neighbor, his wife, or his workers, but urge them to stay and do their duty. When we don't trust God and his promises, we start to take matters into our own hands. And that's when things go wrong. We resist, let's be honest, any effort to curb our appetites. And we're determined to make ourselves gods of our lives. We become the idol. You know, that has its origin in the Garden of Eden where Satan tempted Eve to eat of the tree with the words, you will be like God. This has been our desire ever since, to be God. And the worship of self is the basis of all our modern idolatry. 